Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 95, with Craig Kurlop, author of The House Hacking Strategy How to Use Your Home to Achieve Financial Freedom, uh, and a member of the staff here at biggerpockets.com. So, you definitely want to be in a living situation that you will enjoy, right? And so, the whole curtain thing, most people probably would not enjoy. I actually did enjoy it, believe it or not, just because I got to meet a lot of people and it was an experience, right? I love the experience. It's time for a new American dream, one that doesn't involve working in a cubicle for 40 years, barely scraping by. Whether you're looking to get your financial house in order, invest the money you already have, or discover new paths for wealth creation, you're in the right place. This show is for anyone who has money or wants more. This is the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. How's it going, everybody? I'm Scott Trench, and I'm here with my co-host, Miss Mindy Jensen. How are you doing today, Mindy? Scott, I am super excited for today's show because while I am the president of your fan club, I'm also the president of Craig's fan club. He is doing some pretty amazing financial wizardry with this house hacking strategy that he's mastered during his short time working here at Bigger Pockets. Short time, it's like two and a half years or something. But he's just really crushing it. And it's exciting to see somebody who is. I know I make fun of you guys for being young, but you're significantly younger than I am. It's exciting to see somebody who is so young doing something so financially advantageous, you know, taking the risks and making the sacrifices that you need to do to be a house hacker. And when I say risks and sacrifices, the risk is actually pretty minimal. Um, The biggest risk is that you have more house than you need. And the sacrifices is just, you're living with somebody else. But especially for somebody Craig's age, you know, he's coming out of school where he was living with roommates. He's just living with more roommates. And now those roommates are paying his mortgage. So. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, from a risk perspective, Craig's situation is the lowest risk you could possibly get right? He has tenants to help him cover his mortgage. He's not at risk long-term of rents going up and that being a problem for him, like every tenant is at risk for. And you know he's got help. Like Every homeowner is at more of a risk because they don't have tenants helping to pay down their mortgages, right? So Craig has built several hundred thousand dollar personal net worth. He generates thousands of dollars in passive income through his real estate investing activities. He's got a diversified pool of tenants, right? You know, his risk like to your point, is just so low with this. And this is the way to do it or a a method that you as a listener can go and and practically apply in your market. Some of the the themes and the principles that Craig's applying, the fact that he's applying them so aggressively and so early on in his career, you know, it's guys like Craig who are going to have unlimited freedom by the time they hit 30 years old to go out and take on the world and go start a business, go whatever, maybe work for Bigger Pockets forever. Whatever it is that Craig wants to do, he'll be able to do because of what he's applied in these past couple of years. And you'll listen to his story and hear the personal sacrifice that came along with that and have to decide if it's worth it or not. But there's a spectrum here. And I think Craig also outlines that really well. Yes, he does. I wanted to point out that this isn't just a strategy for 30-year-olds. As I mentioned later on in the show, I've considered this as well. And it's just another way to generate passive income. Craig shares the amount of money he's generating from his three rental properties. And we didn't ask him how much he spends every month, but I bet this more than covers all of his spending. Oh yeah. Craig's just a a master at finding those those, those points of leverage in his spending and his income and figure out a way to reduce his expenses to zero and maximize his income. Uh, And he's been doing that consistently. And that's, you know. That's how you kill it. Guy's, guy's crushing it right now. Yeah, he is. Should we bring him in? 
Interest rates are sky high in 2023, and buying a rental property means you could get stuck with an 8, 9, or 10% mortgage rate. But what about a 2.99% rate with rent to retirement? Rent to retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate with an average cash flow of over $900 per month. Plus, they've got options where you can put as little as 5% down with no PMI. As the nation's leading turnkey investment company, Rent to Retirement helps investors build headache-free, high cash flow rental portfolios. And since their properties are fully turnkey, newly built or renovated, leased and managed, anyone can invest, even those who aren't into landlording. So what are you waiting for? This 2.99% rate deal won't last long. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, supporting local economies, and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors, but if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Take control of your investments and secure a stable 8% annual return today. Visit pinefinancialgroup.com biggerpockets to learn more about the fund. That's pinefinancialgroup.com biggerpockets. Craig Curlop, welcome back to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today. How's it going? I'm so excited to talk to you too. It's not like I don't get to talk to you every day. I know that seems kind of weird. I have to introduce the show the same way that I always do, but I actually work with you, although today I'm at home and you are in the office uh, recording from where I normally record from. So yes, I'm excited to bring you back because I think that, can can I say that you are the world's foremost expert on house hacking? Is that overselling it? I think you can say whatever you want, Mindy. Okay. (laughs) Craig Curlop is the world's foremost expert on house hacking. Even though Brandon Turner made up this term, Craig knows more than Brandon does about it because he's actually done it. Has Brandon done it? I guess maybe, but not to the extent that you have. Okay. 
Let's get started, Craig. Uh, well, before we do that, I'm going to continue with my intro. Craig first joined us or last joined us both, I guess, on episode 35 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. We already got his story, his money journey there. And if you haven't listened to that episode, you really need to because Craig did what nobody else has ever been able to do for me. And that is properly explain how you can invest before you pay off your debt. And until Craig came onto that show, I was like, no, you should always pay off your debt. Always. Like the sky is blue. The grass is green. You pay off your debt before you start investing. And then Craig's story really made sense how he was able to make the minimum payments on his debt while investing in real estate through what method, Craig? Was that house hacking? House hacking. You got it. House hacking. And then, so Craig, is it safe to say that you paid off $86,000 in debt because you house hacked? House hacking was probably the number one driver in that. There were other things, but house hacking was the number one driver for sure. Okay. And just to continue blowing up Craig for a second here, you know, like very few people I think have studied this concept to the depth that which you, you, you've kind of taken it and applied it consistently over a multi-year period, interviewed as many people as you have to try to get a wide range of strategies around it. And then you're just making it work where other people maybe think it, it can't work here in Denver, Colorado, for example. And I just yeah, want to give you a big compliment and, and all the work and, and, and thought you've put into this. I think it's going to help a lot of people rapidly build a lot of wealth, your book. Well, thank you, Scott. Yeah, I definitely have studied a lot and talked to a lot of people on the house hacking strategy. And as you'll see in the book, you know, every chapter ends with a case study of everyone that I've studied in all different markets, doing all different types of house hacking as well. So there's something out there for everybody. Nice. Well, can you give us maybe a little a quick, you know, let's do a two or three minute recap of your journey with house hacking and then maybe kind of an intro for those who are are new to it and how they can think about approaching it here in end of 2019. Yeah, sure. So for my house hacking story started actually just a couple of months after I got hired at Bigger Pockets. Uh, I got hired in April 2017, started my first house hack in June 2017. And that was the duplex that you probably heard in my previous episode where I rented out the top, lived in the bottom and Airbnb in my bedroom out on Airbnb. All of those savings allowed me to... where you lived behind the cardboard curtain. That's right. You're not going to let me forget that. All right. Just just to make sure. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Well, it was a cardboard box with a curtain on the other side. So... um, (laughs) Here he is, $86,000 later. Yeah. And so that... Basically, like all that savings, right? Helped me be able to... You know, pay up, make my minimum payments on my student loans at the time and save up for my second house hack. Exactly one year later, I closed on my second house hack and then rented out the first one full time, did the second one. That one was a five bed, two bath, which I rented by the room. So a different strategy there. And then I saved and saved and saved to then get my now third house hack pretty much a year later after that. So it's a very repeatable strategy. Okay. So let's look at the numbers for your first house hack. What did you pay for it? What was your monthly payment all in principal interest taxes insurance? And what did you rent out? What money did you bring in through your various rentings? Yeah. So the first property I purchased for 385, 385,000. My down payment, I did a three and a half percent down FHA loan, which was about 17 to $20,000 down. My monthly payment was just over 2000. Interest rates were very low at that time. And so I was getting 1750 for the top. And from Airbnb out my room at Airbnb, I was averaging about $1,100 per month. So a little less in the winter, but a little more in the summer. So over the course of the year, it averaged out to about $1,100. And so what's that? $2,850 on a $22,000 mortgage. And I was living for free. 
2,200, so. right? Is it 22,000 a year or 2,200 a month? It was 2,000 a month for the mortgage, just over 2,000. Got it. Okay. So that's awesome. You're living for free, building down your, uh, paying down your mortgage. Has the property appreciated now a couple of years later? Yeah. So I actually just got an appraisal and it appraised for about $80,000 higher than when I just purchased it two years ago. So do you have plans to refinance that property? I'm actually taking a HELOC out on it. I don't plan to refinance it quite yet. The only time I'll refinance it is if I do indeed want to get another multifamily or I need to use that FHA loan again. Nice. What are you going to do with that HELOC? Right now, it's just kind of reserves. So I can use my money to then you know, potentially purchase another investment here in Denver that is not a house hack. My goal for next year is to obviously purchase another house hack. But in the meantime, also purchase a traditional rental as well. All right, this is awesome. I, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but I'm very interested. So I will anyways. Um, how would you kind of describe your, your position on risk reward in relation to taking out a HELOC? You know, you're, you're leveraging even more on this and pulling it out and holding it in cash um, as a reserve and you know, opportunity fund or whatever. How are you thinking through that from a risk reward perspective? Well, so I'm not actually drawing down on the HELOC until I actually have the opportunity. Okay. Sorry, I thought you'd pulled it out already. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. So that makes sense. Uh-huh. Do you think that if you get to 20% equity in that property that you'll refinance out of your FHA loan? Yeah. Once it gets to 20, 25%, I'll refinance. It'll probably become an investor loan. So I'll be able to remove the PMI, lower my monthly payment, and then yeah, have a, a whole lot more options with you know having the FHA loan out again. I can then you know go ahead and do another multifamily property with a low amount down. Okay. We're talking a lot about things that we all already know about. Let's break this down a little bit more for people who are listening that may not be familiar with all these terms you're throwing out there. PMI is private mortgage insurance. What is your PMI monthly payment? So the PMI on that property is about $250. Oh, okay. And so any property for the listeners there, any property that you don't put at least 20 or 25% down on, you're going to have to pay PMI. And people always wonder, is paying the PMI worth it? And I say it 100% is worth it, right? And this is the reason, is that because I pay an extra $250 a month in mortgage, right? But I get to purchase a property for $60,000 less than if I didn't have the PMI. So how long would that take me to save up $60,000 rather than just pay that $250, right? So I save $250 more a month. I don't even know what that math is, but it's for time, a lot of money, or it's a lot of years <laughs> before I can then purchase a house just to sacrifice not paying PMI, especially if my renters are actually paying it for me. That's a really good point. And PMI, you said 20 or 25% down. It's 20% down for an owner-occupied property. If you don't put 20% down, then you are paying PMI. I've heard a couple of different ways to that people are, are doing PMI. One guy was able to buy his PMI or pay it off at the beginning of the mortgage. It was something like $1,000 to pay it off. He's like, yeah, I'm going to do that. So, I mean, that's four months of your PMI. I don't know what his was. My friend Jake has what, $75 a month for PMI? And if he didn't do that, then he would be, he would have to pay capital gains taxes on stocks that he would sell to get the 20%. So, you know, don't write off PMI automatically. I mean, if it's really expensive, it might not be worth it, but definitely do the math. There's a lot of different ways to figure that out. Yeah, so so basically, if I understand it correctly, the strategy is you you buy with 3.5% down because you don't have 25% down, which is 
close to $100,000 on this property. And you have this great opportunity to earn a return, live for free, all that kind of stuff. The property appreciates, you pay down the mortgage and you approach that 20, 25%. And so for me, when I was house hacking, the holy grail was being able to refinance out of that PMI and reduce my mortgage payment very dramatically. Is that one of your goals that you're going for? It is not my primary goal because I'm actually pretty comfortable with what, where my rents to my mortgage is right now. And so... At this point, I think I would rather just have that HELOC available and mm-hmm. then use that leverage to buy another property rather than just have more equity in the current property that it's in. Because you know, we talk a lot about return on equity, right? And so when your return on equity is not very high when you've got 100000 some odd dollars in the property itself. Love it. I think that's a great way to approach it. Um, different and also awesome. So tell us about how you leveraged that, that first house hack into the second one. So through those, all those methods of saving, right? So I wasn't paying rent for that first month and I was cash flowing about, you know, after reserves, maybe $500 over the mortgage. And so net difference is about $1,000 more than I was saving prior to renting before. And so that on top of my original savings that I was saving before from my job at Bigger Pockets and some other side hustles and stuff like that, you know, I was able to save another 40, 30, 40 grand in that next year, which was able to, le- I was able to leverage up into the second house hack, which was the five bed, two bath house up in Thornton, about 10 miles north of Denver. And this strategy I did the rent by the room where I lived in my room, had my own room with doors and walls and all that good stuff, and just had four roommates. What a unique experience for you. I know. <laughs> so let's look at this property then. What did you buy it for? What did it rent out at, et cetera? So this second one I bought for 343000 This time I did a 5% down conventional mortgage. So with this one, you're actually... I was allowed to do a 5% down because it was a single family. I don't think you're able to do this with multifamily yet, but maybe at some point. And so this one I put down, it, was, it ended up being about another $20,000 for the down payment. And I ended up putting 10% down... or Sorry, $10,000 down in repairs to add a fifth bedroom and just do you know, some small things here and there. And I ended up renting out all of the rooms for 3100 and my mortgage payment was 2000 This is even better than the first place in a lot of ways. And, and central to this premise is the ability to rent by the room, right? And you're, and you're not allowed to do that in the city of Denver. So can you tell us a little bit of how you researched and found out where the areas were that, that allowed this and then why you chose this location? Yeah. So Denver County, you are not allowed... There's occupancy laws where you're not allowed to have three unrelated members living in the same home. Now, people do it. And they don't get caught. It's not like a super enforced law. But again, it just puts you at the risk of being caught if it ever does happen. So I decided to not take that risk and move up to Adams County, which is where Thornton is in. And it's just outside of Denver. And this, there's no laws on that there. So I have five unrelated people living in the house and it is perfectly legal. And you just go about researching it by... Honestly, I just did it by networking. Going to meetups is really how I found all that out. Yeah. Google's a really good search engine. I don't know if you've heard of it. No, never heard of it. Yeah, it's a small thing, internet startup. Uh, yeah. yeah, and that's you know that's really important to consider is the occupancy laws for the city that you're looking at buying a property in. Craig has a five bedroom house. I really love that you bought a five bedroom house because that's a weird house. That is probably going to take you a little while to sell when you go to sell it. But why would you sell it? Because it's cranking out cash at thirty one hundred dollars a month. Was that with you living there or without you living there? That's with me living there. So when I when I moved out, add another seven hundred dollars on that. That's thirty eight hundred dollars on a two thousand dollar a month mortgage payment. I'm sorry, Craig, you can't make money in the Denver market. So clearly, you're lying. It's true. <laughs> All right, so what'd you do next? So then, 
you know, that basically just managing the two properties for that whole year. And again, continue to save, continue to be frugal. And a year later, I, to no surprise, bought my third house hack. And this one is a little bit more recent. This one I just closed on in August of 2019. And so this one, there was a total of six beds, three baths. And this one, I kind of did a hybrid of my last two strategies. So in this property, it's basically like a split level almost. There's a separate entrance that goes right to the downstairs to the garage. And the downstairs has three beds, one bath, and a kitchen. So I decided to wall off where the upstairs meets the downstairs and redo the entire basement so that I could rent the bottom out on Airbnb and I can rent the top out room by room. So now I live in a three bed, two bath with two other roommates and I rent out the bottom on Airbnb. And what's the profile of this investment look like from purchase price and rents, expenses, all that good stuff? Yeah. So the purchase price was 380. I bought it for 380. The mortgage on this one's a little bit more. It's like just over 2100. And for the top two rooms, I get a total of 1550, 900 for the master and 650 for just the regular bedroom. And the bottom, I am just putting on Airbnb now, but I've got friends actually here at Bigger Pockets who have similar properties or actually properties that are actually smaller than mine that are Airbnb out and they make about $2000 a month for like a studio basement. So with my 3 bed, 1 bath with a full kitchen, I'm going to conservatively estimate that I'll make $2,000 a month on that. And so that'll look like $3,550 on a $2,100 mortgage with me living there. Outstanding. So how do you expect to manage these over time? Are you going to self-manage forever? Or or what's that look like? It seems like a lot of work if I'm thinking through this to manage all your Airbnbs and rentals. Yeah, it is for for sure a lot of work. And I actually found a property manager that does rent by the room. So that is the... The quick answer, I guess. And we're, I just signed her on actually like this week. So hopefully she does well. And if that works, then my investment strategy has changed and I'll continue to invest in single properties, single family houses here in Denver. So, how did you find a property manager that manages the rent by the room? And I want to look into this rent by the room strategy because I know, oh, Linda Weigand on show, I think 240 on the real estate podcast or 242. Um, she does rent by the room and she's also making money in a place where you can't really make money because property prices have gone up so much where rent has not kept pace with the property prices. So how do you find somebody who's, who rents by the room? Do you just ask them? As a property manager? As a property manager. Yeah. So I actually, someone actually just reached out to me and said, Hey, is there any way I can help you out? And I said, yeah, find me a rent by the room property manager. And they just called them like five or 10 people. And and I called they they he introduced me and it worked out. So yeah, it was great. <laughs> was this an Airbnb tenant? <laughs> I know no, it was not Airbnb tenant, but <laughs> uh, side note, Craig Craig uh, once found love through his his business here, right? Where <laughs> uh, uh, love is a, love is a strong word, but uh, uh-huh. we'll we'll uh, we'll say yes. Yeah, that's the inside joke between Scott and I. Uh, Okay. Okay. Fair fair enough. Um, Okay. So it sounds like you have a a wonderful approach here that you can sustain. That's been building a great return on on equity, uh, which I think is a great metric. Look it up if you're interested in learning more about that. That's, I think, the way to underwrite these properties over time. But um, what would you say to someone who's listening, who's maybe not willing to go to some of the links that you've gone to or who can respect the choices you're making, but say, you know what, I'm not going to go and buy a five-bedroom house or rent out four other of those rooms. I may not live behind a cardboard curtain or be as creative with this six bed, three bath place. So what would you say to somebody who is looking to house hack, but wants 
is maybe willing to accept a little bit less of some of these tremendous numbers that you're putting up in exchange for some of those comforts. Yeah. So we talked about on the Bigger Pockets Real Estate podcast uh, a few weeks ago, the whole idea of sacrificing comfortability and profitability. So the idea is that as you move along the spectrum towards profitability, you get less comfortable. And as you go the other way, you get more comfortable, but less profitable. And so I would suggest everyone to go as far as you can along the spectrum towards profitability as you can, especially at first. And then as you continue to house hack, you become richer. You become you get to have more options to become more flexible. You can scale back and move down that spectrum towards the comfortability section until you're at the point where you're 100% comfortable. Yeah, you, you know, I, I think that I think there's a lot of good stuff in there. I think when it comes to house hacking, right? One of the big advantages as I see it is your ability to put down such a low down payment and have such extreme leverage against that, right? And and be able to de-risk it by living in the property, self-managing, fixing all those problems. But if, if you have 500 or 1,000 or a million dollars of net worth, getting a great return on 10,000 or $15,000 down isn't really that important. You could probably pursue the same approach you're doing right now with a just regular rental property investment. Is that kind of what you're trying to say with that? So I don't think there's a better way to deploy $20,000 and get like 100% return on that than house hacking, right? And so even if you're a millionaire, it makes sense, I think, because still you're not going to get a better return on that $20,000. Now, if you think a 100% plus return on a house hack is just not worth it to you, you've got a million dollars. So like you can, you can do what you want. So like, so you just have to kind of weigh like how comfortable are you willing to be versus how comfortable are you not willing to be? But the, the point I'm trying to make is you're saying, hey, you really should go as far as you can along the path to profitability at first because the stakes are so high and it's such a good good return is what I'm gathering from your argument there. And I, I think that's absolutely right. Like when you're starting out, it's just so powerful, this mechanism, this tool, house hacking to, to move you towards financial dependence. But there is a light at the end of the tunnel, right? You don't always have to get a 200% return on your $20,000 and you oh. can get the big, nice house downstream or, or move down that spectrum over time. Is that, is that right? Oh, of course. Yeah. I don't think anyone is doing this so that they can just house hack forever, right? <laughs> the, whole, the whole thing is like house hack for a few years. So you have all of the options later and you okay. can live the life that you want later. So what's your dream house, Craig? Well, there's definitely going to be a curtain involved. 10 bedrooms. <laughs> <laughs> 10 bedrooms, four wait, curtains, wait, a lot of bunk dream- beds. His dream house or his dream house hack? His dream house. Like what's your long-term desired living situation that you're house hacking for? I don't really care. Like I just want to, I just want to be comfortable. Honestly, like whoever I'm with at the time, just whatever makes them happy probably. I just mm-hmm. I like a place to live has never been like the most important to me. I'd like to have a good location. I'd like to have a nice clean house. But other than that, it's just make the people around me happy and then I'll be happy, I'm sure. Got it. Okay, so let's say somebody's listening and they want to house hack. They they think this is a great idea. What kind of property makes for a good house hack and what are some things they should watch out for that may not make it such a great property to house hack? So I think the first thing you want to do is figure out what strategy you want to do, right? So if you're in a market where you can do a duplex, triplex or quad and that's such a house hack you want to do, then find a duplex, triplex or quad, but you'll want to see things you want to look for is location proximity to public transit if you're in like a city. Uh, if you're doing a single family, I like to look for the amount of beds and baths per dollar. So hopefully like you want the least amount of dollars for the most amount of beds and baths because you can always fix them up and make them look nice. But if you can get a lot of beds and baths, then or if you can get a, a house with a lot of square footage, 
but maybe only three beds and two baths, you can maybe add a couple of bedrooms. So figure out ways to like add value to those to a property where you, that you can potentially increase the value, get more for rent, but still, you know, keep that mortgage payment about the same. Got it. What's an example? And I'm sorry, I'm harping on, on this point. But what's an example of a, a house hack that you've, you've heard of or come across that is more luxurious? Right, because because I think I think a lot of people are going to have this this challenge, right? Where they're they're you know, and and I know we've talked about this, but where they don't want to live the way I did in my first house hacks, right? Um, <laughs> or the way you lived in your first house hacks, right? So nobody so, wants to live the way he yeah. lived. Yeah. So so how do you how like what's what's an alternative for someone who maybe has a significant other who they understand there's there's financial benefits, but what's like an approach that you can say that hey, this is how you would make a case for this to your spouse while still retaining some element of privacy in your living conditions. Yeah, so that, that's moving towards the comfortability end of that house hacking spectrum that we talked about. And I think Ben Leibovich coined it the luxurious house hack, right? And that whole idea is where you have a the house of your dreams, your forever home, but maybe you have an additional dwelling unit in the back or a mother-in-law in the basement or something like that, or you can just Airbnb that out or even do a long-term rental, which will maybe make you $1,000, $1,500 a month. But it may not entirely cover your mortgage, but it will certainly help you pay your mortgage. And who doesn't want $1,000 a month? Awesome. So love it. Maybe can you, can you walk through like how you would kind of think about that as a stepping stone for maybe a, sm- like a small family? Like, What are some more, more examples of that maybe? Another example would be so obviously there's you know the single family house is probably the most popular in terms of like what a family would want to do right but if you want to take it a step back maybe you get a triplex right like a triple decker type thing like top three down and maybe you live on the top so you don't have any noise above you and you rent out the bottom two so it's like you and your family up top you get the nice view of the like like what Brandon's doing right Brandon's got a a triplex in Hawaii he lives in the top with his family and he he rents out the bottom too. So that's like another way to do it. Yep. Love it. What are some cautionary tales to uh, tell people before they jump into this with both feet? Do you know anybody who's had a bad experience, Craig? Yes. I know myself who has had a bad experience, which we can get into in a minute. But the one thing I want to kind of warn everybody with, and Scott, I think you said this really good about a year ago. And it was that at every point in this journey, you are never going to be like your peers. Mm-hmm. Right. Basically, what you said was the first month, the first year, you're going to look like a poor man, right? Living behind a curtain or whatever it is. And people are going to ask you, why are you doing this? You make good money. Why don't you like sacrifice a little or why don't you treat yourself a little bit? And then you realize that no. And then you buy a second property. And how many people do you know that can buy two properties in two years at just out of college or whatever it is? And you start to build a lot of wealth, build a lot of wealth, build a lot of wealth. And then all of a sudden, you've got tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of dollars where you can start investing even more and you hit financial independence and you become basically financially independent in your late 20s, early 30s, or or basically 5 to 10 years from your start point. So you're just never like anybody in that entire journey. So be prepared to be different if you uh, decide to embark on this house hacking journey. Have you had a lot of pushback from friends? For the first year, I was getting a lot of flack for sure. I mean... Just in the office, I was getting a lot of flack. You still get a lot of flack because the curtain. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The curtain, the cardboard box, you know, it was, yeah, I mean, it was, I was definitely like very, very, um, do you have a a picture of this, by the way? I do have a picture of the curtain. I don't have a picture behind the curtain. That's from my eyes only. We'll (laughs) we'll post a picture of the curtain on the show notes for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you know, in the office, I always felt that was good natured teasing as opposed to like ridicule. 
Oh yeah. Well, there's that. And then I've got my, my parents didn't get what I was doing. My grandparents didn't get what I was doing. So I, I would get some flack from them as well. And basically I would just have to push back and be like, you know, like the numbers work. I get it. Just trust me. I'm not going to live like this forever. It's just a stepping stone. And I think now a couple of years later, they kind of understand where I was going with this. So you just have to like stick to your guns, know that you're going to be different. You're probably, especially I'm very lucky that I get to work at bigger pockets and I'm surrounded by people that understand, but most people are not like that. You have to just be ready to take some flack and take strides with it. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that the, that's the trade-off, right? Is, is you went as far along that line to profitability as you could. And in two and a half years, I bet, you, I don't know what the number specifics are at this point. You know, you probably don't even know because you have, no, have to get my praise, but I bet it's, it's close to $250,000 in wealth that you've created through these three decisions to this point, right? That's $100,000 a year in really tax advantaged wealth that you've generated and a lot of a tremendous amount of power that comes with that. And you know what? Yeah, we, we gave you a little grief about the, the curtain, but you know that that's like you have to respect the heck out of that that set of that set of decisions and how well you've executed them and the lifetime of benefit that you're going to receive from having made them. Yeah, if you live like behind a curtain for one year and you get forty years of your life back. So I, I think yeah. I'll take that trade any that's day. Right? Wow. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. 
Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. Okay, so let's talk about some not-so-exciting experiences, Craig. <laughs> oh, you're making me come back. <laughs> yeah, do you, do you think I was going to forget that question? <laughs> I'm sorry that you went through it, but I really want you to share this so other people can learn from your mistakes. One of the things that I heard, we all just got back from the Bigger Pockets convention, uh, which was held in Nashville. We're going to have one next year, too. Right, Scott? Yes. Uh, well, we, we're going to reconvene, regroup, and plan on another one. It was awesome. The conference was amazing. The conference was amazing. We're going to have another one. And so one of the things that I heard from so many people there is, you know, I want to hear the negative stories. It's so easy to hear somebody say, hey, I made a million dollars. Look at me. But what really teaches you is when you have an like, oh my God, I can't believe I have to go through this moment, which Craig did just a, a little while ago. Craig, what happened? Yes, it was a very methy situation. Oh my God. <laughs> I forgot that it's you guys together. Oh, <laughs> Craig and Scott sit in the office and go back and forth with these awful dad jokes and puns. And it's just <laughs> my worst nightmare come true. So tell me about your methy situation, Scott. <laughs> Craig, I'm sorry, Craig. Yeah, so what happened was as I was renting out my third property by the room, I was having people come in to look at the rooms and I signed two leases very quickly. So, but I still had other people kind of coming in and taking a look. And so I had two leases signed and two other people came in and they said, Oh, well, can we check out the downstairs? And I said, Okay, yeah, sure, why not? So I showed them the downstairs and I told them in advance that this would be a construction zone and you know, you'd have to come upstairs, use the kitchen, use the laundry, all that kind of stuff. And they seemed to be perfectly okay with it. And so I got greedy, I got overconfident, and I got, I guess, yeah, overconfident and greedy. And lazy. And basically, I just said, okay, we'll let you in a month to month lease because I always intended to Airbnb it and figured out what the heck could happen. What's the worst that could happen on a month to month lease? So I just signed the lease, you know, do the background checks, didn't do any of this stuff. And 
they move in. And on the first day they move in, the contractors start renovating the basement to get it prepared for the Airbnb. And the contractor is down the hallway ripping up carpet when they smell something that they'd never smelled before. And it wasn't cigarettes. It wasn't marijuana. They didn't know what it was. And so I went and I Googled the woman's name who came into the house. You should do this before you sign a lease, by the way. Yes. And it turns out that she was on our county's most wanted list for hard drugs. So I went about calling the police to try to get this woman out of my house. And they were no help at all. They basically told me that, oh, you're allowed to smoke meth in your own home if you have a lease signed and it's like their private residence. And I was like, what? what? Yeah. Like it just, it just blew my mind. I was like, I couldn't drink a beer at 20 years old in my basement, but I could smoke meth. So that blew my mind. So they weren't doing anything to help me. So basically I just did the whole cash for teasing where I said, Hey, you guys have to be out by the end of the week and I'll give you your, all your security deposit, all the rent that you paid and $500 to just get out. There was two people down there and they took the offer. They left and it's, it's off my plate now, but yeah, it was a stressful like week and a half there for sure. You got off really easy because I mean, did they stop smoking meth in your house? Yeah. Well, they left. So they were there for the rest of the week. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't actually bring the meth situation up to them because I, I don't know what meth people will do. Like, I don't know. I just didn't want to put myself in a weird situation where it got violent or anything. So they didn't seem violent, but I don't know. I was scared. So, so one, one of the <laughs> things that I was hoping to do with this podcast was to encourage the listeners to house hack, right? And inspire them and say, look, there's a great way to go about things here. This, I think, this Beth story is, I think, pretty scary, right? <laughs> to anyone considering this, like, I don't, like, it's one thing to have a meth problem in a rental property, potentially. It's quite another to have it in your house, right? So, how do you, as a, again, as an individual, prevent that from happening ever, right? What, what are some of the steps that you could take to make sure that that is not a possibility in a place that you're trying to, to house? Oh, I've got for this yourself? question. I've got this answer. Uh, step number one, background checks. Step number two, Google their name, Craig. Uh, did you background check the rest of the people in the house? Yes, I did. Because I knew okay. I was going to sign them for okay. long term. But again, even if it's month to month, just just so after you get your, your first deal, you're probably going to like do really well, right? Because you're not very confident. You're going to make sure all your eyes are dotted, your T's are crossed and all that. But then you start to get to your second, third deal and you just become like overly confident and cocky about it, which I clearly did. And I, I got served a piece of humble pie there and always, always, always just screen your tenants. Don't take any shortcuts. Like that's the lesson you got to get out of this is don't be like me in that situation. And screen your tenants. Don't take shortcuts, even on month to month leases, even if they feel like you're, they're your friend or whatever, just like go through the process and treat your rental business, your house hacking business, like a business and follow the processes. Yeah, I think that's good. I, you know, I have not had this situation happen because every one of my tenants that comes through goes through my credit criminal and background check. Right. And so I would be willing to bet that this person didn't have a 750 credit score in addition to the, the criminal history that they might have had and probably didn't have three rate references from prior landlords and an employer who you could call to verify their income at certain levels. Like one of those parts of that process, and of course, the, the, the criminal background check would have enlightened you to this behavior. Is that right? That is 100% right. right. So, so, so your odds are probably like, and I would, I would say that if you, if, you follow, if you follow a good process and research it, include some of the things I just mentioned there, you're highly unlikely to have a situation like that. It, it, as, as unlikely as you would 
much more unlikely to have that situation happen than if you were to, for example, go and try to find a roommate by uh, interviewing folks um, as, a, as a tenant. That's exactly right. Like Scott, again, filled with wisdom. Listen to Scott. Like, yes, that is 100% what you need to do is just follow the process. Yes. I'm really just, again, a believer in the power of this concept of house hacking. And as to your point, the spectrum of possibilities, how this can apply to anyone, right? From someone who's starting out and willing to live in a kind of dumpy place like mine or not dumpy, but like behind a curtain like you, uh, to, to somebody who's got a family and is like, hey, I want to I live in like a modestly pretty nice duplex, right? That's like a, a, a set of townhomes and rents out the other ones. And you know what? I'm not going to get the 2% rule in Denver that Craig's getting, but I'm going to get a heavily subsidized mortgage and live, you know, maybe if my mortgage is three grand, I'm going to pay 2,500 of that through the house hack and bring a little bit left to the table and still live for a much lower cost than I could at the alternative and generate a great return that way. And I just think it's, there's so many ways to avoid the problems that, uh, that you just experienced or offset some of the pay a little bit more or you got a little bit less of a return in order to get many of the advantages, if not all of this concept and apply it to your life. That's right. And all of this stuff too is, is in the book. Like I say this too, I just literally did not follow my own advice there. So again, it's just one of those things that again, I got, I got greedy and lazy. So don't get greedy and lazy. Hey Craig, what's that book called again? It's called the house hacking strategy. Which is probably backwards there, but <laughs> no, it's it's forwards. Um, no, I agree with Scott that this is still a really great way to generate wealth. It's a great way to get invested or to start investing in real estate when you're just starting out, when you're younger, even when you're older. But you know, you're young, so we'll point to that. Um, I do get a lot of people asking. I mean, that's the whole reason we have this podcast in the first place. People are asking, how do I get started investing in real estate with no money and bad credit? Well, let's fix your bad credit. Let's fix your no money. And then let's get you into a house hack so you can get started investing in real estate. You didn't stay in that first property. You moved on a year later. You didn't stay in that second property. You moved on a year later. And now you've got this like rental empire. I don't have three rental properties in my current area. So it's a great way to buy a property. You know, the owner-occupant loan, we kind of glossed over this. The owner-occupant loan comes with lower down payment requirements. I mean, as low as 3.5% with an FHA, I think three or 5% with a conventional loan. That's a great way to get into a property. As an investor, you have to put 25% down. The bank doesn't even want to talk to you if you don't have 25% to put down. And yes, there's people that can get lower than that, but they've been doing it forever and blah, blah, blah. But this is a really great way to get started. And like Scott said, even if you want a house hack where it's not going to completely cover your mortgage, every dollar that doesn't come out of your pocket is a dollar that you can save. That's right. Totally right. And I just think it's a great way to an introduction into real estate investing as well. Like talk to 10 real estate investors. I guarantee you nine of them started house hacking, especially if they're here on bigger pockets. I started house hacking before it was created, before you guys called it house hacking. I called it having a roommate. And that was, you know, that was pretty nice. So I do think though that it is important to bring up the negative aspect. You work at bigger pockets. You literally talk real estate all day, every day, and you still had something happen to you because you got lazy. So pointing out that, you know, mistakes happen even to perfect people like Craig is just another way to learn. <laughs> He's shaking his head. No, you're perfect, Craig. No, thanks. <laughs> well, and and I point I I venture to guess that 
the fact that you had at that point five, six, seven, seven tenants between those first two properties alone, and then you had, you know, you have three, four new tenants in the new property if you include yourself, right? Mm -hmm. That's a lot of tenants given the amount of unit, the amount of property that you've purchased, right? Mm -hmm. So your the way you constructed your house hacking business, right, is a lot more complicated than what many investors might experience if they buy two duplexes, right? Like I bought, I started out buying two duplexes, right? For the similar asset value to your portfolio, right? That gave me three tenants. It's a completely right. different, a completely different structure. And, and the odds of having a problem there kind of get dramatically reduced when you have that little bit less of a scope there. Yeah. Just with the numbers. And if I you know I've had all of my other tenants have been great. Right. So, and it's like, Oh, I'm sure everyone's this way. And again, it's just get overly confident based on history and you lose, right? There's a reason why the Patriots lost the Super Bowl in 07. So <laughs> one of the, uh, one of the other things that I think is really important when it comes to house hacking is I think that there's a value in liking your home. Right. And wanting to live there. Right. Because one is where you're living. So you might as well be happy as, as happy as you can, uh, as far along that comfortability side of the spectrum without impacting your profitability as you can get. And two, if the market, if market conditions were to change or, you know, something were to happen and your income was cut or at work or whatever, you know, the fact that you're able to live in the property, I think de-risks the situation to a certain extent. So what are some of the considerations that you have on that front? When you, when you think about your next house hack or what advice would you give to somebody going into it like that? Yeah. So you definitely want to be in a living situation that you will enjoy. Right. And so the whole curtain thing, most people probably would not enjoy. I actually did enjoy it, believe it or not, just because I got to meet a lot of people and it was an experience, right? I love the experience. Now I live in a more of a house. So it's a much more homey place. I've got like a living room. I've got a kitchen. I've got a backyard, all these things. It's just that... I have roommates, right? And they're hardly ever home or whatever. So it's... Right. Mindy is just writing that a quote. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I enjoyed living behind a curtain because it was an experience. It was Frank an experience. Curlop, <laughs> Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show 95. All right, keep going, Frank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was an experience. I did love it. Um, but yeah, so the, the last two places I've lived, I've really enjoyed because, you know, again, I've had my own room. I don't mind having roommates. I actually don't like living alone just because I, I get lonely, I guess. And yeah, so it's comfortable. So I, I like that. And I'll continue to do it this way until my life changes in some other direction. I have to say that I was inspired to consider house hacking in my next property. I have an unfinished basement. I can make it into a bedroom in the basement and we're going to put a bathroom down there too. I have friends who are... Transient is not the right word, but how would you describe people that are like, Transient. Nomadic. Nomadic. I have friends who are nomadic and need a place to stay for a short amount of time. Now, I was considering doing it just, you know, just to generate extra income because why not? I've got space that I don't need. I would like money instead. Well, before we kind of get to the, the famous four here, what are some of the, what, are there any other items you want to leave us with related to the strategy of house hacking, Craig? Um, I just think you have to, the, the first house hack is going to be a slog. Right. The first one you get in, you put down the largest investment you ever made. And if you're not buying a brand new house hack, you're going to end up, oh, this is broken, this is broken, this is broken. So you find yourself fixing things for the first few months and you just feel like you're never going to get ahead. 
But once you get it settled after the first four or five months, you start to kind of see the rent savings and everything kind of come in. You start to really see your savings pile up after like six, seven, eight months. And then you all of a sudden are able to buy the second one. And when you buy the second one is really when you start to be really start to see the power of it. And then you just get to see it more and more after the third, fourth, and fifth. But you just have to push through that first one and don't be afraid to just take action and actually get that first one. Um, another thing is that I just see a lot of people being really scared and trying to find home run deals on these house hacks. And every single house hack that I've purchased, I have purchased it basically at asking price. And for the reason that is, is I would rather just get in and start saving on rent and start having another property that is going to appreciate that I can cash flow, that I can pay the loan down on, that I can get the tax benefits from, than try to find this home run deal that's $20,000 under asking because within two months, I'm $20,000 up in net worth gain. No, I, I love both of those. And I can honestly relate really directly with your first comment about how it's a slog for the first couple of months. When I, when I bought my first house hack, you know, we closed around Thanksgiving and that weekend I had to go and move and it was cold. It was like dark. I had to do it all in one day because I timed things poorly. I dumped all my stuff in, set up my bed. And then I woke up the next morning and realized that a very critical element of housing was missing from my life, which is blinds. Uh, and people could just <laughs> see into your house without that. So like every day for like the first couple of weeks... Yeah. And this might be just because I was completely naive, 24-year-old who knew nothing about the world. Uh, but you know, like these things... like. Like came together slowly, and it was it was like a little it was a little rough for those first couple of months. While I installed blinds, painted and stained cabinets, fixed things up, didn't have a tenant in there yet because uh, it was vacant. And then once I got the tenant settled, and we got the place settled, it was it was uh it it became I began reaping those benefits that Craig started talking about, and it ended up being an enormously powerful investment for me that built that's built multiple six figures in wealth through cash flow and appreciation over the last five years. Yeah, I wanted to ask you actually, like, where you bought that first house in 2014, right? So, like, what, how does that look for you now? Like, where, what did you buy it for, and what's the value there? Yeah, I bought it for 240, and I, I believe that it's probably in the ballpark of 500 thousand dollars, between 480 and 520, somewhere in that range. Where I had to get it reappraised today, and it produces a great cash flow. It rents for about 2600, and I think I'm a little below market as well with that. And uh, the mortgage is about 1500 bucks. Wow, and those are good tenants. Yeah, we've got good, good long-term tenants. Uh, no vacancy in the last three years. Nice. So again, the power of house hacking, right? Yep, absolutely. So it's been a, a really powerful thing for me. But yes, a little lonely and a little uh, depressing for those first couple of months, especially while there's no tenant in there. And then off to the races after that. Yeah. So I'm going to bring up a different thing. I have bought and sold more houses than you guys have simply because I'm as old as both of you combined. And I've been investing forever. When you buy a house, something breaks. Something always breaks. If you're not house hacking, you're still going to be fixing stuff when you move in. And really what breaks is inversely proportionate to how much money you have in your bank account or how easily you can weather the fix. So if you buy a house and you spend every last dime on that, Murphy's Law 100% rules real estate. And you're going to need a new furnace. You're going to need a new air conditioner, depending on what part of the world you're in. Your water heater breaks in the middle of the night, yada, yada, yada. But if you have a good, comfortable position, you your salary allows you to weather a big purchase like that. You've got a nice bank account. You're going to get like, oh, I need a new light switch or some random weird thing like that. So 
I just want to point out that you're always going to have things that need to be fixed when you buy a house. It's just kind of what happens. But having a house hack, I mean, if you're going to buy rental property or you're going to buy real estate anyway, make money off of it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you always want to have some reserves too, right? I don't recommend spending the last dime on a down payment. I would say you want to have at least probably $10,000 after the down payment just to for when things go wrong. We just got our first snow here in Denver a couple of days ago. And that night, I realized my furnace blew. So we didn't have a furnace. <laughs> Luckily, I've got $5,000 that I can dole out and do the, do the furnace and reserves. Like That was very important. And, Not luckily. <laughs> well, if I didn't... Smartly. Smartly. Yeah. That's not a word, but smartly. Smartly, I had $5,000 that I could... You know, It wasn't really a huge deal. And now I've got a furnace that will last me likely for 20 or 30 years. So I'm not upset about that. What I find is really funny. And Scott, I don't know if you're the same way in Mindy is like, I have like a really hard time buying like a $20 pair of jeans, but I have like no problem spending like $3,000 on like something for my house. But yeah, I'm about to spend... I just bought a live another live-in flip and I'm about to spend approximately $100,000 on it over the next year, fixing up like a new everything. So yeah, I can totally do that. But I would never spend $20 on jeans. They're $5 at the Goodwill, Craig. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although your car is about $100,000, right? No, I don't have that anymore. I sold it, oh, to, that's right, that's right. I sold it to buy the house. <laughs> I want to say like the Costco jeans are like between... Twelve and twenty dollars. So it's like if I'll, I'll just pick up the, a pair while I'm at Costco. So I might spend twenty dollars in a pair of jeans. Well, Scott, not all of Once. us are CEO. Yeah, <laughs> but all of us are rich, Scott. Yeah. Um, Some of yeah. us have to pinch our pennies. Um, I want to know about your reserves, Craig. So Scott on episode two talked about his reserves, and when he bought his first property, he had ten thousand dollars in reserves. When he bought his next property, he put another ten thousand dollars into the reserve pot. What was your reserves for your first property? And did you add to that with the second and third property? And and I'll say real quick, I was not comfortable until I was at 15 in reserves on that first property. I was not, yeah, but go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So I, for that first one, I think I still had about 20,000 like in the bank after the down payment. But that was just because like I was done, you know? Um, The second one, I probably had about 30. So I've probably had, I probably did the thing where it's like $20,000 as a base and then $10,000 for any incremental property after that. But that's just like what makes me feel comfortable. People would probably say that I'm very conservative in that way. No, I like those numbers. I like those numbers a lot because let's use $5,000 as a ballpark figure. Your roof is probably going to be around $5,000. Your air conditioner is like around $5,000. Uh, three to $5,000. Furnace, three to $5,000. Craig doesn't have air conditioning. No, Craig doesn't have air conditioning. But so it's about $5,000 to get a new roof. It's three to $5,000 for the air conditioner, three to $5,000 for the furnace. You know, it's, I know somebody who just paid $3,000 to get a water heater. It's like 800 bucks if you install it yourself. It's not that hard to install, although they are pretty heavy. But your furnace isn't going to break at the same time your air conditioner breaks, at the same time you need a new furnace, a new roof, at the same time you need a new water heater. But one property could have a new furnace need a new furnace and another property could need a roof and another property has a water heater all at the same time. So being able to comfortably absorb those costs is just so key. I know somebody who had a rental property, the furnace and the water heater blew in the same year, not even at the same time, but in the same year. And they had a hard time like financing that they had to sell the property because they couldn't afford for something else to go wrong. Don't sell it now. Everything's new, you know, but 
So I just want to reiterate that having adequate reserves, even if you think that's too much, I hope you never touch that $20,000. I hope all the rent that comes in covers every bill and then you just have $20,000 sitting around. But, you know, I also know that you could weather that storm, even if you didn't, because you have a good salary and you are not a big spender. That's right. Okay, it is now time for the famous four. These are the same five questions we ask all of our guests, or four questions in one command. Craig, what is your favorite finance book? You can't say yours. No brown nosing Scott either. Uh, I was just about to, and I was going to ask him for a race. I like set for life. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My favorite finance book is probably, it's got to be The Millionaire Next Door. I mean, I just think that is just like the fundamental frugality, like just gives you so many options being frugal. So the millionaire next door. It's a really great book. What was your biggest house hacking mistake? Well, we chatted about that already. Um, Definitely the methy situation. All right, give us us a second mistake. Second mistake. Um, I don't make mistakes. Yeah, honestly, like there, there hasn't really been anything that's been like crazy bad. Fair enough. So just I, not, I, following I your, yeah. not following your not following your tenant screening protocol that you already had in place. Yeah, I guess it, it really, if we're, if we're pulling teeth, I'll, I guess it was allowing a dog upstairs when I was living downstairs in that duplex because the dog would run around at night and bark at night and it would just drive me nuts, all the noise. Okay. But that is, I guess, a mistake that I made. But again, it, it didn't come back to, no pun intended, bite me or anything. So. Oh, there's a pun there intended. I know you. Definitely. That's a, terrible, your... jo- a terrible joke. Oh, yeah. God. I, really? Stop. Oh, my dog. <laughs> oh. All right. Just finish it up yourself, Scott. I'm not even going to talk to you anymore. I'm taking right. off my headphones. <laughs> what is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out? And since we're talking about the house hacking book, for people who are just starting out house hacking, besides screen your tenants. Yeah, well, I'll be screen your tenants. Uh, the biggest piece of advice of starting out is just don't be afraid to jump in and do it. Again, the quicker you get into your first house hack, the quicker you can get your second, the third, the fourth, and the quicker you're starting your journey towards financial independence. But that timer does not start until you close on property number one. So again, don't worry about getting a home run deal in your first one. Just get the first house hack. It will pay you many dividends. Love it. Do you have any more of these really rough dog jokes? <laughs> I don't have a. Do I have an, I probably have some more dog jokes. Let me just pause for one second. Oh, nice. Okay, what's brown and sticky? A stick. A stick. Yeah, that one's my favorite. All right, that was, that's, <laughs> that's not even a dog joke. <laughs> I know. Well, they gotta. What do dogs eat that are brown and sticky? Dog food. Uh, okay, let's let's move on. To, <laughs> where can people find out more about you, Craig? I just so you can find me. Uh, best place is on Instagram. I'm at the Fi Guy. You can also find me on Bigger Pockets, and that is probably the best two ways. Or you can pick up the book at www.biggerpockets.com/househacking. Love it. Well, thank you very much. This has been, uh, I think, a, a lot of great information, and I think everybody should consider how a house hack could potentially change their lives and figure out as far as they're willing to go along that spectrum that you outlined on the profitability, comfortability side, at least for the, a year or two. Because like, you, like you've demonstrated with your career and, and work and what you said on this podcast, it's just an enormously powerful tool that you can leverage to move, move toward financial freedom very quickly. That's right. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Craig, for stopping by. All right. Thanks, Mindy. Thanks, Scott. 
All right. That was Craig Curlop from biggerpockets.com and right over there. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> What'd you think, Mindy? And the author of The House Hacking Strategy. You have to name the book, Scott. Oh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and author of The House Hacking Strategy, How to Use Your Home to Achieve Financial Freedom. What did I think? I thought it was a great show. I really like his enthusiasm for the concept. I really like his uh, his strategy. Just He's able to see down the road and say, oh, if I make a few sacrifices now, I'm going to have so much freedom. What did he say? Something like it's a year of pain to get 40 years of your life back. That's brilliant. Yeah, I think it is. It is a great comment. I also think he said, I enjoyed living behind a curtain because it was an experience. <laughs> Sorry, I was great. I have, to, I have to make that one more comment. Uh, it certainly was. All right. And uh, no, but, but that's the point, though, is if you house hack or do something that is a little more aggressive or a little more overt for a year, two, three, however many it takes you to kind of push through to the other side, you know, all of a sudden, Craig finds himself in a position where he has a net worth of several hundred thousand dollars. He has no bad debt. All his student loan debt is paid off, right? He has very low expenses. He has a great job and generates a very good income, right? He is over the hump. And for the rest of his life, he will be accumulating wealth whether he really goes after it or not because of the what of what he's of the system he set up for himself and he can add in whatever it is that makes him happier that he wants without really bearing that as a delay toward financial freedom so i just kudos to him and kudos to how he's been able to apply this this strategy here in denver when a lot of people um feel that they can't yeah and kudos to him for sharing the story of his mistake not screening his tenant who turned out to be smoking meth in his house. Um, that's, right. that's, I really wanted to bring that up because I already knew that story because he, I was there living it with him. Not, I mean, not living with him, but you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, like he, <laughs> but like he would come in and talk about it in the office. Like I lived through it with him. He works at bigger pockets. All he does all day long is talk about real estate investing. He's in the forums. He reads the comments about all the people that, you know, have done this in the past and have made these same mistakes. And yet here he is also making the same mistake. I think it's really important to point out that, you know, you can get cocky and you shouldn't get cocky and everybody makes mistakes and he learned from it. He's never going to make that mistake ever again, but you don't have to make that mistake. Learn from Craig's mistake and always screen your tenants. And I'm trying to think, like, I'm thinking about that, right? You know, because this is everyone's worst nightmare is Craig's situation, I think, as a house hacker, right? What if my tenant is that person? Yeah. Does that in, in my property, right? And that's a risk that comes along with, with renting your property out, especially if you're not following the, the principles to screen tenants with that. However, it's just as much of a risk if you live in a place that somebody else is the landlord of. <laughs> exactly. Right? You actually so, have less control. Yeah. So, so there's, there's a lot of ways to look at that. And um, you certainly don't have that risk if you are buying a home and in your single family home, but you also are completely alienating yourself from these possibilities that house hacking brings in, in the wealth building equation. Right. And I'd like to point out that Craig has never had a problem with any tenant that he has properly screened. So, you know, he fully admitted that he got lazy and I just, I really wanted to share that part of it because like people think that Brandon Turner never makes any mistakes. But he makes mistakes. Mm-hmm. I make People, mistakes. Yeah, really? I, I thought you were perfect. I made, I made plenty of mistakes with my tenants. I had one experience where I had a bad tenant because this tenant 
basically a series of great screen tenants came. Then one leaves, another roommate comes in, another roommate comes in, another roommate comes in. And all of a sudden I'm left with a tenant that just because I wasn't as diligent, I didn't go through my screening process with. Right? And luckily things have worked out so far. But these things can happen no matter how tight you try to control them with these screening things. Right? Every one of us has made a mistake. I'm sure you've made mistakes in your live and flipping business. Never. Right? I'm perfect. I've never had a mistake. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's oh, not about God. not making mistakes. Yeah. It's about mitigating them. And you know what? If someone's going to live in the property with you, that's where you just can't afford to not screen your, your tenant. Yeah. Yeah. And we have an article on the Bigger Pockets real estate blog called something like the ultimate guide to screening your tenants or whatever. I will find that and I will link it to the show notes, which can be found at biggerpockets.com slash money show 95. Okay, Scott, should we get out of here today? Let's do it. From episode 95 of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, he is Scott Trench and I am Mindy Jensen and we're out of here. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With the Bigger Pockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.